morning, good morning, good afternoon, beautiful people. It is good to see you guys. It is good that you are here. I am uh, blessed by your presence. My name is Tony, just in case you guys did not know. I am the associate pastor here at TLC. Glad to have you guys. We are in a series called Rooted in Christ, a year of Christ-centered growth, right? Uh, we, we really want to engage this picture of spiritual maturity this year. You know, spiritual maturity is, is, is not just about uh, doing things for the Lord. I think a lot of us sometimes we, we get into this habit of thinking that to be mature, I have to solely just do what God tells me to do. And part of it, you're right. It is an obedience factor into maturity. But you can be spiritually mature and do all the, you, can, you can be doing all these things for the Lord. And yet at home, in your personal life, in your inner life, you're a mess. You're a hot mess. You're dealing with anger. You're dealing with depression. You're dealing with mental health. You're dealing with all these emotional things that you have never really worked through in your life. Spiritual maturity, the way that God has designed it to be, must be a connection of being with the Lord and doing things for the Lord. It's a being and a doing. Both must be together for there to be a balance in your spiritual life. If you have one without the other, there's an imbalance here. If you're a person that's all about doing, 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 and you see in your life the anger is still there, you're still bitter, right? You, you haven't really worked through some of the inner issues, some of your past dramas, and it becomes to, it's a toxicity that continues to eat away at you, poisoning you from the inside out. That's not balance. That's not maturity. Or if you're someone who's all like, you know, I'm for the Lord, I'm for the Lord, I'm praying, I'm talking, I'm you know, really well connected, but that's all you do. You just sit in your little corner by yourself, excluded from everybody else. And you're not actually going out there and serving and obeying and bringing his kingdom here. That's an imbalance. Right? And we really want to talk about spiritual maturity. And you guys know why, and, and, I, and I've shared this so many times. It's, it's from this, this reality of what happened during the years of COVID and how the little suffering that we went through of being excluded or having to uh, close our doors for a season, how instead of thriving, we saw each other running away from God, taking a vacation from God. Um, and it took about a year just to draw people back into the community because they, they, they've been so far from the Lord that it was hard to kind of reconnect again. And we recognized the issue behind that it's a maturity issue. It's a maturity. You can make the biggest bank in your bank account and yet be the most immature person in the world. You can, you can look in all aspects well off in the world around you, in the culture around you, and still be the most broken person in this room. We want to talk about spiritual maturity. Right? Being and doing. Another way of this, another way of saying this is Drawing near to God. The series that we, that we have for the next few weeks is this cultivation of getting you guys to recognize, how do I draw near to God? How do I begin to be with God? How do I begin to let God do his healing work in my life? How do I begin to open up these things that are a part of my life and allow God to set the rhythm, set the pace, set the healing process? 
Set the tone. Set the conversation. Set the standard. How do I draw near to God? And the promise of the word of God is what? You draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Last week we talked about one of the ways in which we practice drawing near to God is that you have to do what? You guys remember? You have to what? You have to know yourself. You got to know who you are. Not, not what your family tells you you are. Not what your culture tells you you are. Not what your friend tells you you are. Not what your workplace tells you you are. You have to know yourself based on what God, who God says you are. And we looked in the passage that before even Jesus did anything in his life, before he did a miracle, before he saved souls, before he gave his life for the world, he gave himself to the Lord. And this is what God said about him. He says, you are good. You are lovable. Your existence is good. It is good that you exist. That is the identity that God gave Jesus. And in the same way, when you know the Father, when you've given your life over to the saving grace of the Father, when you recognize that you cannot save yourself, that you are a broken person, that the only thing that can save you is Jesus Christ himself, and you give yourself into his hands, this is what the Father declares over you. This is the promise that he gives unto you. This is the identity that he lays into you. He says that you are good. You are good. So stop saying that you're useless and worthless. Stop looking in the mirror and trying to compare yourself to those around you. He says before you've done anything, you are good in Jesus. He says that you are lovable. I know a lot of us, we look in the mirror, we don't think we can be loved. We don't think we are lovable. We don't think that anyone can actually look at us and care for us and want to be with us. And before we've done anything to prove ourselves or prove our worth and prove our value, Jesus Christ, God himself, placed this identity over us. He says, you are lovable. How dare you speak any other word outside of that? And he tells us, your existence is good. It is good that you exist. How many of us, we go through our life thinking maybe, maybe things would be better if I'm not around? Maybe my family would be happier if they don't have such a screw-up in their home. Maybe, maybe my wife and my husband would be happier if I'm no longer there. And yet God in his word declares this promise over you. He says your existence is good. It is good that you exist. So why do you keep saying the opposite? You have to know yourself for who God says that you are. And when you cling to it, when you hold to it, when you grasp onto it, it gives you the power to be free. But here's the problem why we can't grasp it. You know why? Because we wear what? We wear masks. Some of the masks that we wear is that I am only worth it, right? The mask that we wear is that if I am able to do what? What? Yes, right? If I can do something. If I can actually produce something, you put that mask on, I am, I am only worth it. I am only worthy. I am only good if I can do something. And so we wear this mask and we try to prove ourselves. We try to give our worth and our value by what we accomplish, our career, our job, our degrees. We lift these things up. We say, now look at me. I'm finally worth it, am I? Aren't I? I finally made it, haven't I? And God says, take off that mask. That's not you. 
That's not who you're supposed to be. That's not what I've called you to be. Why do you wear that mask? Another mask that we put on all the time that, we don't re- that, 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 that um, blocks us from knowing who we are is the mask that I am only somebody if I, what? If I have something. That if, I, if I have something, I am what I have. If I accumulate the house, if I accumulate the cars, if I accumulate the body count, if I accumulate these things, now, now I am somebody. And God says, who told you that? Why is your worth, why is your value, why is your dignity, why is your character based off of these things? Take off that mask. And one of the other masks, the last mask that we wear is, I am somebody... I am somebody only of what others think of me. I'm only worth it if my mom affirms it, if they're happy with my existence. I got to put up the perfection. I got to make sure everyone looks good. I got to make sure I perform my duties. I got to make sure that when people look at me, they're happy. They're not judging. They're not there. I present myself well. I am based on what people think. Jesus, take off that mask. To know yourself, church, to know yourself is to know who God says that you are. And you can't take off these masks until you spend enough time in the silence and in the solitude and in the communion and connection with people to begin to recognize. When you get mad or when you get upset or when things are happening in your life, when you're driving home and you recognize, like, you know, so-and-so yelled at me to say, I'm so pissed, I'm so mad, or, you know, I I failed at my work today, my my project didn't go through, this is happening, or, you know what, I didn't get the promotion I wanted, and you're just upset, you're angry, and you're having all of these emotions kind of rile you up, and That's the moment when you're supposed to sit in silence and ask the Lord, why? Why does this bother me so much? Why is the promotion so important to me? Why is what they say matters so much to me? And it's because God's going to speak back to you. It's because you have that mask. Take it off. You want that extra zero in your paycheck so that you can feel like you are somebody. Take off that mask. You're only doing what you're doing because you want so-and-so's approval. Take off that mask. I'm telling you. You are good. You are lovable. It is good that you exist. Come to the realization of that. That's how you begin to draw near to God. You guys follow me? Right? Today I want to share with you guys another way in which you draw near to God. You got to go back in order to go forward. You have to go back to go forward. Everybody say go back. You got to go back to, everybody say go forward. Go forward, Right? If you want to begin to draw near to God, one of the things that you have to cultivate is the ability to go back into your past and recognize all the damages that has happened so that you can actually go forward into your life. There's a, uh, there's a very acute uh, term for this. It's called multi-generational transmission process. Okay? <laughs> multi-generational transmission process. It means that What happens in one generation gets transmitted to multiple generations after it, okay? They don't know why this happens. They just see the pattern happening all the time. What happens in one generation gets always passed on to multiple generations after that, meaning that if there was alcoholism or substance abuse in one generation, that same abuse begins to be transmitted 
unknowingly, even un, uh, reluctantly to the other generations. Right? If, you were an ab- if you were abused in one generation, you become the abuser in the next generation. If, if there was issues of unresolved conflict, that you just sweep every, you swept everything under the ground in one group where your family was like, don't talk about it, don't talk about it, don't talk about it. All of a sudden, the new generation, the multiple generation that comes after it is a generation of signs. No one talks about anything. No one grieves. No one, no one shares. Everything is private. Everything is kept under wraps. And it just gets passed on. No, re, no conflict is resolved. Nobody says they're sorry. It gets passed on from generation to generation. You guys know what I'm talking about? Usually families that get divorces... Generations later, you see multiple divorces in the family. They don't know why. It's like a mystery, but they know that's a pattern. And before they came up with the multi-generational transmission process, acute slaying, the Bible has already said it. The Bible already knew this. God has declared very from the beginning, when you live outside of my command, when you live outside, when you begin to try to do things on your own, to set your own standard, to do your own thing, that's sin. That brokenness that you are initiating, that brokenness will be passed on to the third and fourth generation. The Bible phrases like this. It's, it's phrased as, um, the children will be punished because of the sins of disobedience of the parents to the third and fourth generation. It means this. Your children is going to inherit what you have done in this generation. So not just your parents, but your grandparents and your great-grandparents. What they have done in a disobedience to God is going to be transmitted unto their children. Often repeated over and over. Broken homes create broken homes. Hurt people create hurt people. Racism continues with racism. Poor ability to connect. You continue with poor ability to connect. This is an issue. But how do we break it? You have to go back. You have to recognize it so that you can go forward and be free of it. You guys follow me? See, a lot of us, we don't go back enough to see it. That's why we, don't go, that's why we actually just keep repeating it. We don't go back to actually analyze and think and work it through so we begin to keep repeating it into our lives today. You were hurt as a kid. Now you hurt someone as a father. Your dad left you as a kid. Now you leave your family as a father. You have abandonment issues, right? And now you have issues of what? Connecting and committing. These things carry on. Generation, generation. You got to go back in order to know, go forward. So the things... The way you draw near to God is this. Go back to go forward. The blessings and sins, recognize that the blessings and sins of the family goes back two, three generations. Right? And what they do has a huge impact on who you are today. Don't ever think that you are free from the grasp of your mom and your dad. Don't ever think, no matter how far you run, you can change location. You can change homes. But you are not far from them, from their grasp. It's part of your DNA almost. The only way you can be free of that is you recognize it and then you bring the Lord into this picture so that you are renewed for something else. So it requires you to do what? To put off the sinful patterns of your family of origin and cultivate a culture of relearning how to do life in God's family. Okay? 
Today, I want to share with you a couple things. We're going to learn the model of going back in order to go forward through the life of someone called Joseph in the Bible. Going back in order to go forward through the life and model of the life of Joseph in the Bible. Two things we're going to learn. We're going to learn that you got to learn to recognize the imprints of our families. You're going back. Recognize the imprints, the unconscious imprints that they have left into your life from your family. You got to go back. And the second thing we're going to learn is choosing the road of healing as you go forward. You guys, you guys following me? The heart of this service and the heart of this series is that you begin to really work through what's going on on the inside. Not ignore it, not sweep it under the rug, not pretend it doesn't exist, but you are dealing with it and you're bringing God into this picture so that when you go back, you recognize the unconscious imprints so you may go forward to choose healing as you go forward. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 17. The story of Joseph is one of my favorite stories. It's one of like those, those, this one of those epic dramas. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they can make a drama out of this story. It's just so crazy, right? story of Joseph is like this. Joseph was the youngest of his siblings, loved by his father, a little arrogant because he had a gift. He had the ability to interpret dreams. And so he was a little cocky. He was a little brat, right? His brothers didn't like him. And he was daddy's uh, favorite child. He was his father's favorite child. And so he, he took that to his advantage. But being that way... What did he do? He went out to see his, 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 his brothers one day to kind of rat on them to see if they were actually working. He was spying on them. His brothers saw it. They couldn't take any more of his nonsense. So they decided what? Let's just kill him. Right? That's, that's how dysfunctional. You think your family is dysfunctional? This family is dysfunctional. Ten brothers got together and conspired. Let's just kill him because we are annoyed by him. Okay? You know, but one brother was at least he's like, hey, let's not kill him. Okay? Like he's, no, let's not do that. Right? Okay, let's just sell them then, right? Let's put them into slave, let's, let's, let's um, traffic him into slavery, pretty much. You know what they did? They sold him for 30 pieces of silver, okay? They faked his death. This, how messed up do you have to be to fake someone's death, okay? And then they faked his funeral, and they went back to their dad, told him, your son got eaten by wolves, and they kept the secret, the family secret, for 10 years. All brothers knew about it, every single one, but it was a family secret. We don't talk about Joseph, right? <laughs> oh, you caught it, okay. We don't talk about Joseph. And so what happened to Joseph? So he's, he's a slave in Egypt. He's a slave in Egypt, betrayed. Everything he knew, gone in one day. His culture, his family, his friends, his, uh, his life, his brothers, all gone in one day. Now he's a slave. And as a slave, did things get better for him? Nope. He was accused of raping his boss's wife. He didn't do it, but he was accused of it. Thrown in jail. Thrown in jail. Ten years in jail. Think, how bad is my life right now? How bad is it to be? This is not like American jail, okay, guys? Like, there's no TV, there's no HBO, there's no free health care. This is like Egypt Pharaoh jail, okay? You're in a cave, bucket is your bathroom, right? And that's it. That's, that's all you got. 
It is not fun jail. He was in jail for 10 years. He thought for a moment that he was going to get out. You know, he did some, he did some like side hustles. Hey, if I do this for you, make sure you remember me, right? Get me out of here. And guess what happened? They forgot about him, abandoned again. Until finally, 13 years later, Pharaoh had a dream he could not interpret. Calls in this kid, comes in, interprets the dream, and Pharaoh says, I like this kid. Raises him up, second in command of all of Egypt, to take care of everything. Now he's okay, life is getting good. Still has a lot of pain though, right? It hasn't gone away, still, still dealing, it's all there. Second Egypt, famine hits the whole entire area. Guess who shows up to his doorsteps? His 10 brothers. Shows up. Hey, can we get some food? He saw them. He saw them. What would you do at this moment when you see the very brothers who left you to die and never came back for you? And you're the second most powerful person in the country. He could have just killed them on the spot. But you know what he did? He brought them all in. He took them all home. He says, get dad. Come home, Egypt is yours. I'll make for you a place. All right? And then, what's good? Dad passed away. Dad passed away. Now the brothers were thinking, like, I think, I think Joseph's still mad at us. If Joseph, Joseph kind of like kept us alive because dad was around, but dad is dead now. So uh, we, need to, we need to do something or else he's going he's gonna to probably take all of us out. Okay? So this is where we're going to end up in the story here. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 and 17. Check this out. How do you draw near to God? You got to go back to go forward. The first thing you have to recognize is recognize the imprints of our families in our lives. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. Ask, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to Joseph, he wept. I read through this whole entire chapter. From this, the Joseph starts from 37 to 50. I read through this section like four times, because I was thinking, when did, when did the father told, gave this instruction? And I realized he never gave the instruction. It was never written down. So what was the brothers doing still? They were still lying. They were still lying. <clears throat> hey, bro, I know that the only reason why we're alive was because of dad, so we're going to use dad's name to keep us alive again. This is what dad told us to say to you. Don't kill your brothers. Forgive them. They were still lying after all these years. Right? The amount of deception in this family is ridiculous. Some of you guys are thinking, like, that's like my family. Like, you don't know how crazy our parents are in lying. They held the family secret for 10 years. They were, sa- they were brought out by their brother that they've abandoned. And then what did they do instead of repenting and doing better? They begin to lie some more through this process. Right? 
And as slaves, uh, um, and, and, and then what happens here, okay? Pretty much this, this scene, I, I love this scene because it was kind of like a uh, Godfather 2 scene. You guys ever seen Godfather 2? Don Corleone? Fredo? I thought it was going to be lost in the kids. It's lost on you guys too? Oh, come on, right? So Don Corleone was a Godfather this time, right? He found out his older brother, Fredo, betrayed him. So this is an amazing scene in, in, in Godfather 2. He comes up doing a dance. He comes and he kisses his brother, right? It's like the kiss of death. He kisses him and says, you broke my heart, Fredo, right? He walks away. Fredo was like, what happened? What happened? So Fredo found out. Oh, no. My brother knows. The Godfather knows. But what did Don Corleone do? I'm not going to kill you. For as long as your mother breathes, you will live, right? And then what happened? Mother passed away. Took Fredo out to a boat, right? His son was like, oh, can I go fishing with Uncle Fredo? No, right? And it was the craziest scene. The mother died, poof, Fredo died. It was like a Don Corleone. I'm telling you, man, the Bible is the original dramas of everything, okay? So in this moment right here, dad passed away. They were afraid, and they lied through their teeth about it. They're still lying. Now you're asking the question, man, these brothers are messed up. No, they're not messed up. You know what they're doing? They're still being punished for the sins of the generations that came before them. Their whole family was messed up. The only one that was actually was able to be free of this was Joseph. But all ten brothers was messed up. I mean, let me tell you their imprint, the imprint of their family. You guys ready about this? Who was their father? You guys remember? Jacob. Who was Jacob's father? Isaac. And who was Isaac's father? Abraham. Three generations, okay? Abraham. In this family, there was a pattern of lying. We already know that because we see it in the life of the ten brothers, right? Abraham lied about his wife twice. It wasn't some like, you know, small lie. It was basically, she's my sister. Go ahead. Sleep with her. That's his wife that he just pwned out to the king of Egypt. Pharaoh of Egypt, go ahead. He did it twice. Isaac and Rebekah, whole marriage was built on lies. Jacob, was, his name means the deceiver. He lied through his teeth to his father. Ten of Jacob's sons lied about Joseph's death, kept the family secret for ten years. This issue of lying wasn't something that just came up out of the blue. It was a sin that was started three generations ago that is being punished still into this generation. You guys get me? You got to go back if you want to go forward. You got to recognize what's happening. And so what happens? What's next? What's another one of their imprints? Favoritism by one of their parents. How many of you guys know that you're not the favorite of your, of your parents? Okay? Uh, you know. I know you know, right? <sighs> one day when Enoch finds out, I'll be so sad, right? You know, favoritism. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm, just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, right? Favoritism, right? Favoritism. Favoritism by one of the parents. Abraham favored Ishmael. Jacob favored who? Read your Bible, guys. Esau. He favored Esau, right? Because Esau was the hunter, brought home meat, brought home game, right? Uh, Jake, uh, Jake, uh, Isaac loved that. Jacob favored Joseph, and later he favored Benjamin. There was favoritism that was going on. No wonder that the, the other sons always felt left out, always felt abandoned, always felt like they're not loved, always felt like, you know, without uh, dad, we have to earn daddy's keep. What's another one of their imprints? Brothers experience being cut off from each other. 
every generation, right? Isaac and Ishmael were cut off, two different nations. Jacob fled from his brother Esau. One went one way, Jacob went the other way. Joseph was cut off from his ten brothers. One went to Egypt, other stayed in the promised land. There was cut. This didn't just happen overnight, guys. What you, this is what I'm talking about. Whenever you guys hear me preach about legacy, this is what I mean. Either you set a spiritual legacy for your family, or they're going to inherit the legacy of disobedience from you. So what happened over time was what, poor, uh, there's another one, poor, uh, poor intimacy in the marriages of each generation. Abraham had a child out of wedlock with Hagar because it's, you know, like, we ain't going to have a kid. Let's just give her, you know, just pop one out with Hagar, right? Isaac had a terrible relationship with Rebekah. You want to talk about dysfunction? That's a relationship you look at for dysfunctionality. Jacob, Jacob was even worse. Homeboy had two wives and two concubines. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say that is a good idea, okay? It was a horrible idea. Broken relationship, broken marriage. You have to go back to recognize. Now, all ten brothers, they never looked back. And so what did they do? They continued that pattern. Even to that moment before their brother, they lied to their teeth. Daddy said this, so don't kill us, okay? Daddy asked you to forgive us. Don't kill us, okay? Like we killed you, right? Don't do that to us. But Joseph, Joseph was the only one who was freed because he looked back and he didn't let that become the pattern of his life. He let God speak into that so that way he becomes free. You guys follow me? But let's talk about some of the patterns of your life because I know you guys are thinking, like, I don't think my life is that crazy, PT, right? So that's, that's how beautiful, you know, the Bible is. The Bible is epic dysfunction. So you look at your life, you're like, mm, not that bad, right? But you, got, but you got to recognize some of the imprints in your life because you got some. I have some. We all have some. You have to recognize your imprints. Let's talk about some, right? How the generations before you saw money. Money. Son, money is security, okay? Don't forget. You got to have money if you want to be secure and protected. Daughter, the more you have, the more important you are, okay? Don't forget. Hey, make lots of money so you can prove to the world that you made it. You made it. We came from nothing, so make a lot so you can prove that you made it. Imprint. How about conflict? The way your grandparents, great-grandparents, or even your parents dealt with conflict. Avoid conflict at all costs, right? Mom could be beaten to a pulp, and she won't say a single word. Yelled at through her face, spit upon, and not have a single word, because why? It is best that we avoid conflict. Sweep it on the world. Lock it down. Don't let it be known. Don't get people mad at you. That's not a good thing. Or be loud. Be angry. Constant fighting is normal. It's what we do in our homes. How many of you guys feel like that way? Right? Even now. How about sex? 
Oh, we don't speak about sex openly. That's just taboo, guys. Don't talk about sex openly, right? Birds and bees, figure it out, right? Oh, men can be promiscuous. It's okay, you know, like, that's, they're guys. That's what guys do. They sleep around. Women, oh, you have to be chaste, though, pure. None of that mug, okay? I know some of you guys heard this because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's real. How about grief and loss? Grief and loss. Sadness is a sign of weakness. You're not allowed to be depressed here. Suck it up. Get over your loss quickly and move on with your life. Right? Pastor's confession. You know, this is a big one for me. Grief and loss. I remember when my father passed away. The day after my father passed away, my mom showed up to the hospital to take care of the last paperwork, came home, stood next to the counter, and she cried, which seems to be a very normal thing to do, right? You lost your husband. You're a single mom raising a kid in a home that you don't even know if your money is enough to actually pay the rent. It's a lot to cry about. It's pretty heavy. And what does my grandma say? Why are you crying? Suck it up. Move on. Grief? We don't grieve in this house. We just deal. Some of you guys are like, oh, that's why he's messed up. <laughs> How about expressing anger? Expressing anger. Anger is dangerous and bad. Just keep your mouth quiet. Or explode in anger because that's the only way you're going to make a point. That's the only way they're going to get your point across. Explode in anger. Just let it out. Or sarcasm is an acceptable way to release what you feel. Is that part of your life? How about family? You owe your parents for all they've done for you. You owe them. Don't speak of your family's dirty laundry in public. Duty to family and culture comes before everything else. Y'all's feeling it, huh? Right? Like, dude, this is like script of my life, PT, right? Relation how about relationship? Don't trust people. They will let you down. Trust only yourself. Nobody will ever hurt me again. Don't show vulnerability. Success. How did the script of your family determine success? Success is getting into the best schools, making a lot of money, and you're successful now. Getting married, having children, settling down, that's success. About feelings and emotions. You're not allowed to have certain feelings. You're not allowed to think those things. Your feelings are not important. What's important is what you do for the family. Reacting with your feelings without thinking is okay. Just react. Those are the imprints of our lives, are they not? And here's the thing. If you are not aware of these imprints that has been passed down from generation to generation, and you are not aware of these imprints in your life at this moment, if you're not going back to look at them and to recognize them for what they are in your life, you will repeat the patterns again and again. And not even that, you will create even worse patterns for the generations to come. 
If you want to draw near to God and begin the real work of healing, you got to go back to go forward. The ten brothers of Joseph never went back to recognize the dysfunctionality of their family. Therefore, their lives still lived in dysfunctionality. Joseph, however, was able to look back. He had plenty of time. He was in jail for 13 years. He had plenty of time to think through this stuff. Plenty of solitude. Plenty of silence. He did go back. He did see that. And when the time came, he did not let the imprints get imprinted onto him. He did not repeat the pattern of brokenness in his family. Yes, follow me? The question is, how did he do that? He chose the road of healing going forward. Okay? So on one end, you got to recognize, you got to recognize the imprints of your past. You got to recognize what happened. On the other hand, you got to move forward. You got to choose the road of healing going forward. He could have, dude, when the brother showed up, he could have just easily said what? I think a lot of you guys would probably say the same thing. Yeah, I'm about to wipe you guys out. So you can have a head start and run. I'll get you, right? That seemed like a very normal human thing to do. But he didn't do that. Look what he did. He chose the road of healing. Verses 18. The message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Not, not the response you think of a man who has been betrayed, left for dead, jailed for 13 years by his own flesh and blood. Right? Doesn't seem like that type of response. Why? Because he went back so that he may move forward. What did Joseph do? How did Joseph go back to go forward? Four things, okay? One, having a profound sense of the bigness of God. Having a profound sense of the bigness of God. Do you guys realize Joseph, he saw his life, even though he was a slave, even though he was in jail, he saw his life in the picture of who God is, not on who he is. On who he is, the situation was astronomical. It was just too emotional, too big for him to handle. But what he saw it in was in the perspective of God. The perspective of God. And when he recognized it in the perspective of God, all of a sudden, he could have dealt with it. Because what did he say? Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. You intended to do me wrong. You made my life miserable. But my God is the God who says, I will work out all things for the good of those who love me, who were called according to my good purpose. I am a good God 
who takes even the worst days and mold it and shape it into something that can and will be beautiful. The question is, do you understand and see that? Do you recognize God as that? Or do you see, when you see God as small, your problems will always be small or always be bigger than that. When you see God as some minuscule entity that just shows up here and there, your problems will always outweigh God. But when you see God as who he is, you don't need to tell the mountain to move. You just tell the mountain, that's my God, so you best start moving. Seth, he gets, he gets really just like worked up over very small things, right? Like I tell him to go get his socks, and if he can't find the other one, he just starts like, I'm just... Especially if I give him a tone, like after shot, go get your socks, hurry up, right? And he's like, he's running around, he can't find the other pair, he's like freaking out, he's like, my life is over, my dad's gonna kill me. He's like just running back and forth, back and forth, and he's like all over the place. It's really huge drama for him. And then finally, when he just, he just wise up, he comes to me and says, Dad, can you find the sock for me? He's like, yes, it's right there. Oh, right? I said, you, I like, it was like, it's been 10 minutes. You've been running around for 10 minutes, worrying about another pair of socks. Like, yeah, right? But the moment he asks, all of a sudden, oh, wow, socks right there, so easy, right? How many of us, we run around like a chicken with a head cut off because of the drama that's in our life, our family drama, our work drama, our relationship drama, and we're thinking that these, 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 um, these, these things, these molehills are mountains in our lives. And we're just, we just can't control it. We can't handle it. It's just too much for us. And you forget you forget that you are a daughter and a son of a living God. Before God, mountains are sand. Before God, these things that you call impossible are nothing. Before an infinite God, all finite things are finite. You may, you may, you may, um, you may have degrees for your issue. This is a small issue. This is a medium issue. This is a large issue for me. Before an infinite God, all these issues... Same location. They're a non-issue. But when you cannot see God that way, when you cannot see that God that way, you're never going to be able to heal from the past. You're going to go in the past and you're going to see, see, I'm a, I'm a victim of my past. I'm a victim of my family. This is who I am. Can't change it. What do you mean you can't change it? God is in the business of changing. God is in the business of taking dead and making them alive. God is in the business of taking hardened hearts and bringing it back to life. You're telling me you can't change? Yeah, you can't change it, but you got a God who can. So why is your mindset so small? Joseph said what? You intended to harm me, but my God took the very beginning of your betrayal to this moment now so that I will save you. He did it for the good of his promise to our family. That we will be a nation. That through us, the Messiah will come. That's how he saw God. And that's how he was able to not let the past get imprinted into his reality. You guys follow me? Right? But what's another way of healing here? How did Joseph go about going back to go forward? What did he do? What was it? He earnestly grieved. Look, this is, this is an awesome verse. Look at verse um, 17. It says all these things at the end of verse 17, 
when their message came to him, Joseph wept. He cried. Do you know why? He's thinking, you're still lying. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you can, tell, you can imagine the PTSD just coming back. All those years of betrayal, all those years of lying, coming back, flooding back to him. Did he just say, did he just like, no, we got to lock that mug down. Don't feel. Don't have any emotion. Don't let that get to you. Of course not. Even at this last moment, his brothers were lying to him, and he looked back upon it, and he grieved for it. He recognized those 10 years were horrible because of what they did. I was a slave, separated from my family, from my mother, from my father. And he grieved it out. He was allowed to feel. That's what you're allowed to feel. Church, do you know that? I know your pastor is horrible about telling you to do that, but I'm telling you, you're allowed to feel. There's something about crying that's cathartic, that frees you. You're allowed to express your hurt and your pain. You're allowed to cry over the situation that you're in. You're allowed to grieve. You don't have to minimize or rationalize those painful years of yours. You don't have to just say, okay, well, that's just how it was, and, you know, those are tough times back then. That's how it happened. You don't need to rationalize it. You don't need to minimize it. You can be in it. Grieve. Cry. Experience it. Be honest about it. Because when you're honest about it, then you can have the space to actually forgive it. But when you're not honest, when you're not honest, you know what happens? The Bible says bitterness is rooted. Indifference, guys, is not the same thing as forgiveness, okay? You guys get me? I know a lot of you guys said, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm done with that person. I, I forgive him. It's whatever. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. You didn't forgive. You're just indifferent now. And indifference doesn't help. All indifference does is just it takes the root of the bitterness and it digs it deeper. And you are more poison than you can ever possibly know. Indifference doesn't do that. But if you allow yourself to feel that pain, you allow yourself to express that, you allow yourself to over, overcome that, deal with that, you bring it to the surface Then, then forgiveness happens. I know so many people who forgave their fathers that abandoned them. Real forgiveness, real transformation in that relationship didn't happen because they're just like, okay, I'm whatever. He does his life, I do my life. No. It's when they showed up to their father. They told their father. They expressed their grief. And they're able to say the words, I forgive you. That's when freedom happens. You're able to, you have to grieve, church. You can't just sit there and just kind of keep blocking it down over and over and taking that past of, of what your parents taught you about grief and keep sliding it under the rug. It does not free you. But here's the third thing that Joseph did as he went back to go forward. Joseph rewrote his life script according to Scripture. He rewrote this script that was passed on to him, the script of patterns of lying, 
horrible marriages, broken family, abandonment. He rewrote that script in light of scripture so that he can be free from it. He rewrote that script. I'll give you an example. Family. What is the script of family? Duty to family and culture comes before everything. You don't talk about your family's dirty laundry in public. But in light of scripture, you've been given a new family. Don't you know that? In light of scripture, you've been adopted by the father into a new family. Jesus Christ is the older brother. You've been given a whole lieu of brothers and sisters around you. A new identity, a new name. You are not beholden to the script of your old family and what they tell you to do. You are now a part of a new family and what he has called you to be. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you are now in a new place. You honor them, but you do not obey them. You're in a new family. So why are you living as if you're still in the old one? Jesus rewrote, I mean, Joseph rewrote his script based on scripture. You need to rewrite your script when it comes to your family. I need to rewrite my script about this whole picture of duty and fam, duty to family and culture comes before everything else. Obedience to my father and drawing near to him, the heavenly father, is what I'm called to do. First and foremost, it's not a script. Relationship. Don't trust people. Don't trust people. They will let you down. That's the script you've learned. That's why you're individualistic. That's why you don't ask for help. That's why you don't even need to pray. Because you know what? I don't even need God to help me. He will let me down too. But what does the script, what does the Bible script tell us? Confess your sins to one another. Carry the burdens of your brothers. If one part suffer, we suffer together. If one is honored, we rejoice together. Rewrite that script of relationship in lieu of the scripture and what God is saying, what real relationship looks like. Why are you beholden to the old script when he's given you a new? Y'all following me? This is how you go back in order to go forward. You got to rewrite the script. You got to rewrite those broken script passed down from generation to generation. Success. Success is only if you make a lot of money. Success is only if you got into a good school. Success is only if you got the career. That's the old script. And then you become beholden to that. Running like a hamster on a wheel, chasing and chasing, never enough, never enough, never enough. And yet the script that the Bible tells us, the script that is written to us, success is what? Is to know God and be known by God. Success is to know God and to be known by God, to know that when he looks at you, he says that you are good, you are lovable. The existence that you have means something. When you know your identity and you live it out, that's success. Not how much money you make, not in what school you get into, not in what you acquire in your life. Feelings and emotions. You're not allowed to have certain feelings. You're not allowed to grieve. Your feelings are not important. Do you know how often we live just to hold on? And I know a lot of you guys look at your moms and look at your dads, and you see how often they do this, don't they? 
They, they do this all the time. Things go bad in the family, and then next day everything just seems like it's normal. Right? Like it was like, there's like this huge epic fight, World War III one night, and the next morning, everything seemed like it's back to normal. What just happened there? Right? Why is that? Because you locked everything down. We can't have those feelings in public. Put on that face, sweep it under the rug, move on with your life. What? Do you know what the shortest verse is yet the most profound verse in the Bible is? Jesus, all, all y'all memorized that one. All good, right? Jesus wept. He wept. If our Lord can weep, you are allowed to weep. David, the Bible says, he prays day and night. His tears floods the bed. Joseph, in more than one occasion, cried when he saw his father come down the mountain. After 10, 13 years of never seeing him, he hugged his father and he whipped bitterly, the Bible says. That's the script that's given to us. And yet, some reason, we keep living the other script. Don't cry. Lock that mug down. Why are you acting like that? And lastly, what did Joseph do? How did Joseph cultivate going back to go forward? Joseph partnered with God to be a blessing. You got to partner with God to be a blessing. In Joseph's lifetime, his 13 years being abandoned by his brothers, if you read that story, it's one of the most beautiful stories. The Bible always says during those years, Joseph never left God, and God never left him. During those 13 years of abandonment by his brothers, betrayal by his brothers, false accusations by his master, being wronged, he never left God. He cultivated a continual relationship with God. In his silence, in his solitude, he was with God. He allowed God to speak into his heart, to take off those masks that he had. He allowed God to speak into his soul, into his being. He cultivated this continual relationship with God so that when the moment came, instead of cursing his brothers, what did he do? He blessed them. He said to them what? Do not worry. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Let's be honest. Some of y'all, if you were in this situation, maybe, maybe, maybe you probably uh, won't go as far as like wiping the whole family out. Okay, let's, let's just say you're just okay with that, right? But let's be honest. You guys probably would never even let them come close to your house. So just don't come over. You'd be indifferent to them, at least, right? Won't pay them attention. Do your own thing. Right? Survive on your own. I did. I made it by myself. I survived. I was in jail. What are you guys crying about? Isn't that what it is? Isn't that what sometimes you whisper to your brothers and to your sisters? I made it as the oldest one. You, you should too. No one taught me. Learn it yourself. And yet... Joseph did what? He partnered with God. In the darkest 
deepest suffering of his life. He was with the Lord. He didn't run from God, right? COVID couldn't stop him. He didn't run from God. He draw even deeper to God. And what happened? When the time came, when all manner of normalcy, what anyone else would do, was just to curse their family, he blessed them. He protected them. He cared for them. You always get me? You got to go back if you want to go forward. You got to spend some time. And this is not just a one-time gig, okay, guys? I'm talking like you don't just go back one time and like, I got this. You are more damaged than you know, okay? It was three generations that caused you, okay? It's going to take a long time to go through. And you're going to see it come up over and over. And as it comes up, you deal with it over and over. You go back. As you see it percolate up, you go back. You recognize where it came from. You recognize the unconscious imprinting that came into your life. You rewrite your script in the light of who God is, his bigness. And you continue to do this until the moment is right, you become the blessing. Let's pray.